Consult is a monthly podcast about software developers who work on Apple platforms to create client products. Join us each month as we talk business, Swift, Objective-C, contracts, App Store, and all things Apple. I'm your host, David Kopeck. Thanks for tuning in to the November episode of Consult. It's great to have you back. My guest this month is Michael Fellows, the founder and leader of Broadway Lab. We talk about the more businessy side of consulting and how Michael has scaled Broadway Lab from just him to a team of six that he leads in both the iOS and Android space. Broadway Lab also has a lead generation service for other consultancies called Broadway Leads, and we get in, into that as well. Finally, we talk about how Michael has hired great people and what strategies he's used and have been effective in finding those great people. So tune in, buckle up, and please also remember to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to help the show's popularity, that's really the number one thing you can do for us. At the same time, if you have feedback for me, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Dave Kopeck. That's D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with Michael Fellows. My guest today is Michael Fellows, the founder of Broadway Lab. Broadway Lab is both a consultancy and they also generate leads for other consultancies. So they kind of have a dual business going on and I'm really excited to talk to you, Michael. Tell me a little bit about your background, where you come from. Give the audience an intro to who you are. Yeah, so I'm founder of Broadway Lab. We build iOS, Android, and mobile-centric websites for uh, on a consulting basis and we also help other freelancers uh, find their find more leads, pack their pipeline, and really allow them to continue to do what they love, which is the consulting. And how did you get into consulting? Where did it start for you? So when I was in college, um, I had a bunch of ideas for websites. You know, I didn't study computer science. I studied finance and entrepreneurship, completely different path. Um, but, you know, I really wanted to build websites. And the more people I talked to, you know, I talked to a few people trying to, you know, get a team together for a few ideas I had. And, you know, found out it was going to cost a lot of, a lot of money that I didn't have. Um, so my options were either find the money or learn to do it myself. And always been kind of a tinker. Thought it'd be pretty cool to learn how to build websites and whatnot. So, you know, I bought a couple books on HTML and Java programming and started getting after it. How long did it take you to feel like you were competent? Uh, well, I still don't feel confident, to be honest. Um, <laughs> A couple, after a couple of years, um, I did it. I did all this while I was, you know, working a full time job. I was managing actually a bank, and um, you know, did this kind of moonlighting on nights and weekends, just reading Ivor Horton's beginning Java and hacking up, you know, gnarly PHP websites. But uh, you know, after a couple of years and about a, you know six months a year of doing iOS, you know, I started to get the the idea in my head that you know I was I was definitely I could start doing this for a living pretty soon. What kind of team do you have at Broadway Lab? Yeah, so we actually have a team of five right now. It's wow. um, myself, a full-time Android developer, um, a part-time iOS developer, and then kind of a part-time business manager who helps me manage the lead generation program and a few of our other kind of marketing strategies and product direction. And then also we're about to bring on a business developer as well. Now, it's interesting. You said you managed a bank before. Uh, what kind of similarities are there between managing a bank and managing a team of developers? If any. Oh, man, that's a, well, I mean, people are people, right? So you've right. got, um, computers are nice because, you know, they do what you, they do exactly, computers are really, really fast, they're just really, really dumb. They'll do exactly what you tell them to do, whereas people are a lot more complex, right? It's a lot more than just ones and zeros with people. You know, managing people's personal lives, finding out what drives them, finding out what their motivators are. I mean, those are things that you pick up as a manager, um, and quite honestly, like, you know, right out of college, I wasn't a very good manager. And those are still things that I'm working on to this day. Um, but it's certainly something you need to know when you're managing a team of developers. It's a bit of an aside, but I'm curious how you become a bank manager right out of college. Just a little, you know, side yeah, story. Uh, I mean, I, I got hooked into this uh, management training program at a, you know, one of the largest banks in the country. Mm -hmm. And basically what it was, it was about six months of training. And then they threw you in there as a manager. Wow. Um, so, you know, I went through really extensive training, really extensive background, but also, you you know, another thing you learn about managing in a, in a large company like that is, you know, there's a process for everything. There's a system for everything. Um, so, I mean, you might be, you know, a 23-year-old 
kid out of college, but you still have the protocol and the people to lean on as necessary um, to get the job done. Now, so, on a day-to-day basis, how much do you spend time managing and how much do you spend time actually doing development yourself at Broadway Lab? Yeah, so it's certainly, I mean, each month it seems like I do less and less development myself. Um, but, you know, I still do a really, I still do a lot. Um, I mean, I just put in the full day right before this call, you know, uh, working on a Swift project. And, you know, I, I love it. I love I love the technical aspect of it. Um, I love building things. And I don't think that's something that I'm ever going to completely stop doing. But, you know, as you start to scale up a larger organization, you kind of have to, you have to take a step back and you have to spend more time um, managing the team, doing business development and really setting kind of future direction. How did you build up the team? So you started, I assume, by yourself, right? You didn't start as a partnership or with somebody already working for you, right? You started by yourself. How long did it take to build up to a team of five people? And at what point did you think you had to make that first hire? Um, it took close to three years before we, to where we are now. Um, but really, you know, I spent the first, you know, year to year and a half to two years is pretty much a one man operation. And then as I, my philosophy is like you, a lot of freelancers kind of get into that feast and famine where, you know, one month they'll have a ton of projects and a lot of work. And then the next month they'll be dry and knocking on doors and trying to, you know, pick up whatever project they can. Um, and I was always one, like, I just kind of, always said yes to projects and always took on more work because personally I wanted to learn more things and develop as a programmer um, and build as many relationships as I could and build a strong business. Um, so it eventually got to the point where about 18 months in, you know, I was a little in over my head on a few projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually how we hired people, this is really funny. So we, I, I started the uh, lead generation for freelancers because I was going out and I was kind of scraping various online sources and had kind of developed um, a few paths to finding good online contract opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I actually just posted on my own service, like, "Hey, I'm hiring developers um, to kind of contract out a few projects," and that's how I ended up working with the first couple developers. What have been some of the biggest challenges in terms of managing the team? Oh man, when you start, so when you're just one person working on a software project, right? Like you kind of get blinders on, you get really familiar with the code base and that can mask a lot of issues, right? Um, So the biggest challenge we have right now with multiple developers working on multiple projects, um, and it might might be, you know, we might just be our company working on it. We might be working on it with other developers at different companies. We might um, be working on legacy code bases that we didn't create. The biggest challenge is making sure that we can have the right testing protocols in place um, and automating as much as possible just so we know that the products we're shipping to clients are as well tested and are going to minimize regressions as much as possible. That's our biggest challenge right now. So setting up a culture of testing or actually putting in the infrastructure of testing from a technical point of view? Well, I think a little bit of both. So mobile, you know, we're so early in the mobile stages, right? Um, and you know what we saw with, you know, iOS nine, Xcode seven, like the UI testing, um, that's, that's a huge addition, right? That's something that's going to save a lot of people a lot of time. Um, so just, it's so new and it's getting both mobile developers on kind of like a TDD, um, test driven, test driven development, um, life cycle where they, where they are writing tests and we are monitoring code coverage and we are, we are doing our unit tests, our integration tests. Um, so developing that culture, but also like finding the right tools. So, I mean, you've got setting up a Jenkins build server, which could take days to get going. If you know, if you're an experience with it, you've got tools like circle CI for iOS and there's still a lot of, um, features that you might want to have that they don't quite offer yet just because it's so early, um, and where the tools are. So those are definitely huge challenges. The people you've hired, have you found them mostly through uh, the lead generation service or have some of them been through t- more traditional channels? Uh, it's about 50. Fi- well, I'm defined traditional channels. <laughs> uh, let's, say, let's say job uh, boards, um, you know, uh, newspapers, that sort of thing. I guess those would be traditional channels. Yeah, so I would, I would consider the Broadway leads kind of a job board and how we deliver out our, our, um, our opportunities. But okay. uh, it's a private job board, you know, for, for our paying customers. But... It's certainly been not through like your traditional channels. It's kind of um, we hired we hired a guy that we're actually working with now on a part time basis. Um, 
that I found like somebody retweeted one of his projects and he was like, Oh yeah, we just, you know, we just had some success with this project, went through his portfolio, reached out to him and was like, Hey, I'd really like to work with you. Um, so I've done that for, for a developer. Um, just really the lead service has been pretty awesome because, you know, we have a pool of talented developers that we can reach out to and then pick and choose which ones we want to work with. Um, that's, that's really been the main thing. Now, you guys develop both iOS and Android projects, right? And, yes, sir. Um, what, do you specialize yourself in one or the other? Yes, I'm not a very good Android developer myself. Okay. Um, that's definitely what, you know, we have a senior Android developer on the team, and that's definitely his main focus. So I certainly specialize in iOS. Yeah, uh, that, that interests me. So how did you go about hiring these Android developers? Were you able to assess quality not being an Android developer yourself? So how did the interview work, let's say? Yes, I was because I had um, roughly, you know, I had years of iOS experience, so I knew mobile pretty well, but I also had about six months of Android experience before we hired somebody on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was, able, I, I was able to look at, you know, code and see like, all right, yeah, this is, this is reasonable within a certain um, degree of confidence. But really the main thing I look for is like, what have you built, right? I mean, it's work, for what we do in consulting, like we work with a lot of entrepreneurs and our goal is to help them get the best product out on day one. Um, so it might not be the same product that you run out when you have, you know, hundred thousand users or half a million users or millions of users. But our goal is to make sure that we can get you to day one quickly, effectively, and also, you know, affordably for them as well. Um, so by looking at what somebody can do from a UI standpoint, you know, how their, how their apps, how their apps flow, like, you know, does it make sense? Is this something that, you know, I'd want to use? That's really the main hiring. That's what, that's what I look for most really. Are you hiring separately for developers versus designers? Uh, we do all our designers um, through contracts. We don't we don't hire any full time de- full time designers yet. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- what I like to do, my philosophy, right? If you're working with somebody new, I think the worst thing you can do is just hire them on full time right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to start with a really really small project. And we do this, we do this with clients as well. A lot of times, you know, we'll pitch a huge project and then they'll get kind of uneasy about it. So we'll pare everything down and be like, hey, let's just start with this really, really small piece. You know, let us knock it out of the park. And then if you like it and have confidence with us, then we'll move forward with the larger things. And we found out that works pretty well. So I like to do that. I do that kind of the same philosophy when I hire people. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this hiring Android and already being on iOS scenario. Because I think there's a lot of consultants out there probably listening to this show who have a lot of iOS experience and have clients who say, well, you know what, I also want you to make an Android version of the app. Oh, and they 100%. don't feel comfortable doing it themselves. And so they might want to go subcontract out there. So what advice would you have to them um, when looking for an Android developer, given that they probably don't have the six months of Android experience that you had? Yeah, I mean, if you, ha- if you can, like, go through, see what they've built, you know, say, like, hey, you know, what are two or three apps that you've built recently? Um, I mean, you can tell a lot about a developer just by the quality of product they ship. Right. Um, also, if you can, this a lot of times this isn't an option, but if you can say like, hey, we're, you know, we have this, say you have an iOS app that you want ported to Android, like could you just do a quick little mock-up and um, just kind of get, start out really, really small and just see if you like working with this person. So, I mean, if you waste, you know, a thousand bucks or whatever on a really, really quick engagement, then that's money well spent if you figure out that, hey, this isn't the kind of person I'm going to work with versus, um, you know, diving in full right off the bat and then realize that, oh, man, I'm stuck in this really, really large project with huge milestones and I don't really feel confident in the developer I have. I assume all of your team is remote? Yes, 100%. So I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, we have two in Michigan, one in Eastern Europe, um, and then one that we work with part-time in Australia. And then another one that's come, that's working with us part time now is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So, I guess technically six right now. So you probably often are up against other remote teams from, let's say, less more inexpensive parts of the world. Um, how do you manage um, the competition with them from, let's say, a quality versus pricing perspective? Yeah, I mean. A lot of the clients we work with, right, communication is important. I mean, a lot of the products we've done have been on really, really tight deadlines. You know, we've had a few that have been 90 days. You know, we had a, we had a product we built um, for a client that was going, that was in conjunction with the product that was shipping across their stores all across the country. 
and that was also a tight deadline. So in those instances, communication is really important. So they feel comfortable knowing that they can talk to me or another developer that are here in the U.S., um, and then it's up to me to kind of manage the communication on any offshore developers that we work with. Because um, truthfully, like, from what I found, the quality of development, these are the ones that I work with, um, are about the same in U.S. versus overseas. It's just the communication barrier with time zone is the hardest part. So mm-hmm. being able to mitigate that as much as possible is really key to success on a project. Um, so, that, I mean, that just communication. I mean, doing, doing what you can, um, just being there for the client, doing whatever it takes to make them happy and make the project succeed is going to set you up, set you apart from the rest. Are you the only client-facing part of the company, or are some of your employees also meeting with the clients, um, Let's even if it's just in a virtual environment? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I have no problem with people we work with, meeting with our clients. I mean, that's our team is always trying to get on calls as much as possible. Um, we have some, some of our developers that we work with, you know, they like being on calls more than others maybe, so some just prefer not to be. Um, so for the most part, yes, I am the client. I'm the client facing, but I mean, others like we usually set up a Slack group and we'll put the client and myself, and then whichever developer is kind of the tech lead on the project will be in there as well. Um, so that that helps because the last thing I want to do is be a bottleneck on on the project. So that helps speed up communication, speed up development, and it helps everybody be on the same page. What about in terms of sales and finding new business? Is that mostly you or do some employees also help you with that as well? Yeah, that's 100% me. Um, we're actually, in 2016, we're hiring a business development. Um, or a, I don't know what the title is, like head, not head of whatever, you know, some, a business developer. Sure. Um, that's going to help us go out and get some new deals. Because uh, right now, yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all me at this point. You know, I definitely want to systematize it and make it so we can have a salesperson out there that's, you know, repping our stuff and bringing us more opportunities. So that is a bit of a bottleneck right now is that you're the only person that, that's doing sales. Yeah. And I also, um, shameless plug, I do use our own Broadway lead service uh, <laughs> sure. to help find, you know, there's the client project I was working on today is a client that I found uh, through that service. So, I mean, we've, we found some good opportunities there as well. So that's kind of helped it. Um, you know, definitely, you know, our goal, our goal next year is to have at least one salesperson that's out there knocking on doors and helping us find new opportunities. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do want to get into Broadway leads, but I'll I'll save it till the end of the show. Um, Before we get into that, I I watched, uh, or I read rather, a presentation you gave called Filling Your Freelance Pipeline. There were a few interesting points in it that I just wanted to get your take on. Uh, Well, I got your take on them already, but I want to get some more color from you about um, one thing you mentioned is that it always adds a lot of value to send out a proposal, even if it seems like the project might not happen. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, the, it's like 48% you're more likely to sign a client if you send them a proposal. So doing that one simple thing gets them serious, right? A lot of people talk, 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 you know, and kind of maybe don't send out something formal because they might not be sure that there's a deal there. Um well, I mean, always be the always let the client decide if there's a deal there or not. You don't need to be the person that decides, hey, like I don't think he's interested. So by sending a proposal, you know, it shows you're serious, you're ready to go. It gives them a detailed breakdown of the project and then how much it's gonna cost. Um, so that that makes somebody more much more likely to buy from you. You also talked about the difference between local leads and remote leads, and you talked about a couple strategies for finding local leads. Um, mm-hmm. we, we're not yet at the part of our discussion where we talk about Broadway leads, but I assume that Broadway leads is about remote leads and not local leads, right? Correct. So you talk about your strategies for finding local leads. You mentioned um, meetup.com as a great resource. How should developers go about or consultants go about um, finding local businesses that want to build apps? Yeah, so I mean... Step one, I mean, if you're not in with your local developer community, you're doing it wrong. So going, if you're an iOS developer, you know, you should be looking for a Cocoa Head. You should be looking for any iOS developer meetup you can go to in your city. And if there's not one, you should create one. Because um, getting to know the community is really going to help you when, you know, somebody has too much work and um, has a little bit of overflow, you can pick that up and vice versa. And that's how you build, you know, real working relationships and long-term business relationships with people. Um, as far as getting getting to know local businesses, you know, going to marketing meetups, entrepreneur meetups, because um, that's where you're going to find people that, you know, either have an existing business and have technical problems that they want solved, um, or, you know, they have an idea for a technical product 
and they don't have the expertise to put it into play. So that's going to be a huge win there. Um, and also getting into remote, right? I mean, depending on which city you live in, you know, if you're in New York City, San Francisco, or I'm in Austin, like you can make a living feeding off your neck of the woods. Um, but there, you know, there's no reason to limit the other opportunities that are out there, especially when, you know, we work with a lot of local clients and they might as well be on the other side of the world because everything we communicate through all, all our project management tools, it's, it's all basically done remotely. Now you're in Austin, Texas. What's the local iOS dev community like in Austin? I know I interviewed Manton Reese. He's also from Austin. Um, sounded like you have a bit of a community there, right? Yeah, it's huge. I actually just moved here, um, a little about six weeks ago. So I'm still pretty new. Uh, but you know, I've been going to a number of meetups here in town and we have, we're very, very fortunate. Uh, we have pretty much a tech meetup every day. Um, a lot of really cool startup events, a lot of really cool entrepreneur marketing networking groups. Um, so it's a really, really killer community around here. What led you to move to Austin? Uh, I'm from Texas originally. So I was living up in Indiana. Um, that's where I went to school. I went to Indiana university. Um, and, you know, loved it. Loved my friends there. I had a great group of clients there. Um, yeah, I just felt like I wanted to move to a city where there's a bit more opportunity, larger tech market, um, nicer weather, and more stuff to do. So Austin was the one that really, really jumped out at me. So, so far, so good. I don't think I'm going to be leaving anytime soon. Another thing you mentioned in filling your freelance pipeline, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, is that people should think about themselves as a consultancy, not a freelancer. Um, what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of freelancers. Um, I mean, you want to you want to basically create systems in your business, right? So, making it look like you are larger than you actually are, because you're going to have a lot of value if you can say, "Hey, you know, I'm a consulting company. I have, um, you know, here, here's what I've worked with." You know, here's people I work with. You know, even if you want to be a freelancer only and you don't want to hire a team, you know, just being able to have that storefront that people can go to and make it more, you know, legitimized um, versus just going to an individual. Um, something that I found was huge. Yeah, absolutely. It always kind of annoys me when um, people say to me, "Well, you're just a freelancer, right?" Yeah, exactly. that's sort of true, but there's more to it than just doing the programming, right? Yeah, there's, and from, exactly. And from a client standpoint, too, um, if they can kind of see you as, you know, not just necessarily an individual with a skill set, but as a gateway to um, other individuals and other teams, uh, that just puts more value on you. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, is there anything uh, that the average consultant or freelancer, whatever term we want to use, doesn't know about their own business that you come across commonly because you interact with so many through through lead generation. So mm-hmm. is there something that the average um, ILS consultant, let's say, um, doesn't know about their own business? Yeah, I'd say most freelancers that come to us have a very, very um, under, I don't want to say under-optimized, just not a very strong online presence mm-hmm. um, as far as a landing page for their services, portfolio for what they've done, um, that's one low hanging fruit that if people could really get out there and showcase some more of their work and put up a really, really professional storefront online, I mean, that, that's something that'll win you more deals right there. Mm-hmm. Also, one thing we found that a lot of developers do is not following up. So, um, you know, sales is kind of a, um, it can be a sticky subject for software developers. It's not, not some people are good at it. Some people aren't. Um, but one thing people do is, you know, oh, I reached out to so-and-so like, didn't hear back from them, I'll reach out again, <laughs> reach out again, keep going. I mean, you know, it, there's clients that I've worked with that I've had to follow up six to ten times on. And it's not because, you know, they didn't want to work with me or, you know, they, they weren't interested. It's, you know, people are busy. Like people, uh, you know, there's people that have tens of thousands of emails sitting in their inbox that you just don't get to, right? So um, showing that you're persistent, showing that, that you really want the project like that and following up, I mean, that's something that, that'll win you more deals as well. Right. I, I think a lot of developers are not really extroverts. I, I don't think it usually goes together. Um, yeah. I, I am myself, but I think a lot are not. And earlier, there's probably some people listening and you're saying, you know, go go to a meetup and introduce yourself to everybody and give businesses that you don't even know if they're even interested in doing a mobile app, your card. Um, that probably scares a lot of people, but you really have to put yourself out there, right? 
Well, that's why I like saying, you know, you're not a freelancer, you're a consultancy, you know, because if you really want to be a freelancer and really want to be a successful freelancer, you know, you have to run your operation like a business. Um, you have to, you can't be scared to go out and do the marketing and meet people and do what it takes to really grow your business. Um, you know, but I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of developers too that are, um, that are great with people. I mean, some sure. of my best yeah. friends are software developers, but I think you're right. For them, there's, there's certainly, it comes with sitting in front of a computer for most of the day, right? Like you're, you're gonna, more yeah. introverted people are going to naturally be um, more attracted to that. Um, but really breaking that mold and getting out there and meeting people is really what's going to set you apart. So do you think that um, communication skills go beyond being able to express yourself well? They also go about how you can read what other people want and uh, express their desires to them. 100%. That's yeah. very fair to say. Um, so one thing, so we work with a lot of, a lot of startups. Um, so one way you can add value, I mean, is being really familiar with a lot of startup principles, right? So, um, one that I personally subscribe to and we get, try and get a lot of clients to get on board with is, you know, the Eric Reese lean startup method, you know, where you're, where you're building your, your minimum viable product, you know, you're building the product, measuring what your customer's doing and learning from that and figuring out what you can do in the next sprint to add value to the business. So I think, not just not just being um, Brendan Dunn. Uh, he's he's awesome. I don't know if I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, mm -hmm. He's an awesome awesome guy. Uh, really really insightful about freelancers. You know he talks to he calls it kind of being an order taker. So are you a consultant that's like somebody tells you, hey, we want to do this and points and gets it done? Or are you the kind of person that people come to with business problems and you help them solve that problem most effectively? Uh, that's, I mean, that that's another thing that would set, you know, a developer apart from their lower cost counterparts. Because people aren't paying you to write code; they're paying you to, um, to deliver some end product. So if you can find ways to do that faster, if you can find ways to do that better, if you can find, you know, ways for them to get more customers, then you're more valuable than that person who's just going to sit there and and take that order. Yeah, one thing I've come across is there's a lot of people who want to be a startup, but they're not ready to fail fast in mm -hmm. that they're not ready to put something out there and, and get feedback on it before it has every feature that they can imagine. Um, sometimes I'll have a new client and their list of features is just unrealistic for mm -hmm. the timeline that they want to develop it in. Um, and I need to kind of pull them back a little bit and say, well, what's really the core of this product that you want to develop? Um, and that we can actually take to market to test. Have you found that as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the first thing we do. Usually people come to us, they want, you know, this, that, and X, Y, and Z, all the bells and whistles. And you got to realize that if you're implementing all those things into a product from day one, it's probably not going to be a good product. <clears throat> so you're doing them a disservice if you just agree. And we've done this in the past where we've had products that we came to and we're like, this is four apps in one. Um, but you know, the money's right or whatever, and we did it. And then that's come to come back and bid us and been one of our biggest regrets. You know, we wish we would have done X, Y, and Z going forward. Um, for instance, we did an app. I can't get into too specific details on it. Sure. Um, but on who the client was, but it was a large client, huge app, had tons of bells and whistles. And there was one portion of the app that was kind of like an afterthought, like, Oh, we just want to throw this in there. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, we'll do it and then we threw it in there and it turns out that piece we threw in there was the piece that that people use the most so, so had we kind of taken a step back and, and analyzed the market or talked to potential customers and been like hey what do we actually want to build here we might have found out we didn't even need the other things that were the monoliths that spent us the most time so how do you talk a client down from wanting to build every feature under the sun I think this is something I'm bad at sometimes I'll go into an right. initial call and I'll come off as a little bit negative maybe to the client because I'm trying to be realistic with them. Um, yeah. But sometimes being realistic can come across as negative if you don't pose it right. So how do you talk somebody down from wanting to have every bell and whistle in their app, which you know they, they rightly understand that they're spending a lot of money on, So you know, and they're afraid, well, okay, maybe I won't get another chance at this. I think that's a lot of their perspective sometimes is they're like, well, I, I'm going to spend X number of dollars on this and if it doesn't take off, I'm not going to have or uh, X number of dollars to spend on it again. So I want to get everything in the first time. Um, right. How do you talk somebody down from that? 
well, typically we frame it that, you know, hey, if you want all the bells and whistles, it's going to cost this much. Or, hey, if you want this pared down version, it's going to cost significantly less. Mm-hmm. Um, so that usually is like, oh, okay. Um, but we also really also preach a soft launch too. So we typically advise clients like, hey, like we're gonna get you, we're gonna get this minimum viable product. We're not gonna put a huge marketing push. We'll you know we'll do a few things. Um, we'll get it out there, get people using it, and see what happens. And then we can kind of come back to the drawing board and then fix what we need to fix as far as any bugs that may have been um, shipped with the product. And then also talk about what features matter most to customers. Analyze how they're using it. Um, you know, putting analytics, like I love Flurry. I think Flurry is a really awesome tool um, as far as tracking analytics in app just because it's super easy to integrate and it mm-hmm. has pretty um, pretty detailed metrics as well. So using a tool like that to say, hey, how are people using our app? Um, that can kind of help you come back to the drawing board. Because we never, I think another thing freelancers do too or consultants is like, hey, like this is the project. Like we need to make money on this project kind of thing. And we kind of view it as like a relationship, right? So like we're just giving, this is phase one, that'll be phase two, and then we'll just keep going in perpetuity. That's kind of our assumption with working when working with the client. Um, obviously, it doesn't always work out like that, but that's kind of our mindset going into the relationship. How do you handle the legal aspects of contracting? Uh, do you have a lawyer on call that you work with? Um, how has it changed for you over the past three years? Yeah, so we when we first started out, we kind of just did some handshake deals. Certainly don't recommend that. Um, actually, never got burned or anything like that. It's just probably not a good idea. Um, but we, you know, we don't we don't do a huge. Um, we don't work with an attorney super close, but we do have a contract that we that we use on other um, on, with other clients. And then if another client brings us a contract, then we'll get advice on you know should we sign this contract? What things can we change? Because um, at the end of the day, I found if you if somebody has an issue with a portion of the contract, um, you know, typically it can get worked out. So if people want to do business together, they'll do business together. Um, and if you deliver what you say you're going to deliver, there really shouldn't be any legal issues. Um, but it's definitely definitely good to be protected for sure. How do you feel about NDAs? So it'll often happen to me that um, somebody with a very generic idea. Um, will not even want to talk about it before they ask me to sign an NDA, which of course is silly, right? Because a, l- right. a lot of it is about execution, not about the idea. Right. Um, but how do you handle the, I don't know if, if you get this, but sometimes I feel like I'm getting an onslaught of NDAs that people want me to sign. Yeah, I mean, if it's a larger client, I sign it real quick. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. seriously, like, there's been many a, a business relationship damaged by people trying to get cute and not wanting to sign an NDA. I mean, if it's somebody I don't know and they're just kind of like, um, you know, if, you know, I don't really have an idea. Usually I make sure they put a stipulation in there that's like, hey, this NDA only covers like proprietary information that I don't know. So it's like, you can't say, hey, you built like a social networking app and my idea was a social networking app. What the heck? <laughs> um, so I make sure that that's not the case, right? And then I also usually pair, like a lot of times NDAs will be like five years, so I try and get them pared down to two. Um, right. So just kind of cutting down the timeline helps mitigate our risk as well. But, you know, I have lost, I have lost prospect before, and it was actually a good friend because I didn't want to sign an NDA back in the day. Um, and that was a huge regret because it ended up damaging our business relationship, and it ended up not being what was best for the client because they went with a different development company and, quite frankly, just didn't get a good product. Um, so that's, you know, we try and sign as many as possible, just be reasonable about them. But please, anybody listening, I'm not an attorney. Don't take my legal advice. Right, right. Um, or I'm probably an idiot matter. in that regard. So. Yeah, please don't take mine either. But I actually agree with you. Um, you know, I, I've heard this when I was starting out in consulting a few years ago. I had a friend who was also doing consulting. He now works at Megabank. Um, yeah. So kind of the opposite of you. Uh, but um, <laughs> he he was always telling me, oh, don't sign all these NDAs. Don't sign all these NDAs. Like, you, you don't know what you're getting yourself set up for. But if I, I would have missed out on some really great projects well, if I, I had say, taken a, that advice. There's a reason he's not consulting anymore, huh? Right. Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, I think, I think there is. Nice guy, though. Um, so we talked a little bit about the legal aspect. We talked a little bit about the management aspect. What about managing the code itself? So what kind of strategies do you use to manage this remote team as they're updating maybe the same repositories? Oh, man, we're actually overhauling like our entire process, right? So um, like for web projects, like fortunately, like the tools are, are pretty well, um, I don't want to say perfected, but they're, you know, there's a lot of tools. Like we do, we do some Rails stuff. And like if you're shipping a Rails product, like it's really easy to have 
uh, automated deployments. So you can get anybody on your team pushing pushing to production pretty quickly, and you know that um, it's not going to push unless all the tests pass. Um, whereas mobile, that's a lot more tricky. So um, we're setting up everything through Jenkins Build Server. We're using Spoon on Android to do automated UI testing, um, kind of playing with JUnit and some other unit testing tools, and then running with the, the native um, Xcode testing tools, um, XE tests, and then um, UI automation and stuff like that. Um, but we're trying to get a fully automated deployment process. Um, so you know, basically, we ship to a specific, or we push to a certain branch on GitHub. And then it would automatically run our tests. If the tests pass, we get a notification in Slack, hey, our tests have passed. Um, then that would automatically uh, deliver a build for the client's test. Um, so that would happen on every commit. And so that's kind of where we're working to, and we've almost got that implemented. Um, and that's kind of like, I think, where every consultancy should be. Um, and then on Android, kind of the same process. But as far as like um, structuring, um, like code styling and stuff like that, that's something that, I think the New York Times has a really, really nice, they, back in the Objective-C days, right, they had a really nice Objective-C style guide, and we forked that and really try and make that um, something we live by. Uh, don't really have one of those for Java, per se, mm -hmm. um, but that's something that we're working into as well. And then for Swift, I think it's, uh, I can't remember, I think it's Ray Wonderlick or somebody has a yeah, Swift has style a guide. One. Yeah, he does. yeah, that one's awesome. Yeah, so just implementing a style guide um, and getting people to, to follow that and then really follow the lead. If it's an existing code base, like, you know, if assuming it's a good code base, just kind of trying to follow the lead and the structure of that code base as well um, seems to work. You know, the hardest part is, you know, when we take over an existing project and, you know, it's just all over the place. Trying to get trying to get everything back in order is, is certainly tough. So, I mean, that's still something. I mean, we're actively working on improving that in our business every day. So, I think that's a problem that a lot of developers are feeling. You mentioned Swift. Um, it's something that I've talked to everyone who's been on the show so far with. Where are you right now on the Swift transition? Yeah, so I don't think you can sit back and say, oh, we do everything in Swift here on right. out, or yeah. we don't do anything. In, or if you're saying we don't do anything in Swift, you're probably putting yourself in a really bad position too. Yeah. Um, so we take it on a per-project basis. Um, like One of the projects we're working on now is 100% Swift. Mm -hmm. But we've also done an app recently that was very, very camera-heavy and utilizing GPU image and stuff like that, and definitely didn't feel comfortable with going Swift on that project. Mm -hmm. um, this was also, we started it pre-Swift too. So, um, you know, I think, I think you need to take it on a per-project basis, right? If, you, if it's APIs that you're familiar with on the Cocoa side, then, and you think that, all right, like, this is a pretty reasonable Swift project. I mean, there's a lot of really cool third-party libraries out there already in Swift. And you can really take advantage of some of those and ship a really nice product and put your put yourself, put your client or whoever you're building the product for in a really nice position going forward. I think you you got to do that. Um, and vice versa, if you feel like you're going to run into some issues, it's okay to stay Objective-C for now. I mean, it's, it's going to be probably a little bit more reliable and you might be a lot more productive in it too. I like it. So you're not an extremist. You're, you're no, right. no, not no. at all. Super moderate. Okay. I'm also. Do you want? Do you want to like really root me to really throw a wrench in the spokes? Sure. I'm actually playing with React JS too. Okay. React tell, Native. Well, tell us a little bit about that because, um, you know, of course, I've heard about it, and I think probably everyone's heard about it. But yeah. um, what's your experience been like with it? Uh, first off, I'm a super novice in it, so everything I take, everything I say, take with a grain of salt. Um, but it seems like. It's there's things I like, there's things I don't like. Like it seems like it's a little less object oriented, JavaScripty kind of one monster class kind of thing, okay. um, or one monster file kind of thing, which I don't like. But it also seems that it's much quicker to develop in possibly, and then getting it to run on multiple platforms long term is the goal. Like I saw a really cool project that was um, it was on Hacker News I think last week where the guy basically wrote a calculator and it ran on iOS, Mac, and in the web. And it was the same code base. It was React Native, and then I think he used one other tool um, to get it to run on the web as well. And it was just it just kind of shows you like that's kind of where the technology's headed. Like if we can get to a position where you can write a one size fit all code base, but get native performance, I mean that's a win win, right? Absolutely. And that's a great segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is developing on both iOS and Android, especially when you do projects that are across both platforms. Um, do you guys utilize any of the cross-platform frameworks like a Xamarin or a Titanium? Have you explored that? 
Uh, no, we, I, I don't, I don't believe, I think React Native is the first one that I've, I mean, first off, it's by Facebook. So I, I think it's like, I think that's, that has a lot of legitimacy there. Sure. Um, obviously doesn't support Android yet, but it will in time. Um, but I just, I feel like those solutions, the Xamarin's, the Titanium's kind of get you like 90% of the way there. And then the last 10% leaves you wanting more. And quite honestly, the quality of um, the quality of applications that I've seen in those platforms just haven't been impressed with. Um, same thing with HTML5 and you know, your phone gap in Cordova. I just, yeah, I think I think that has its use, but I think when it's a heavy, when it's a consumer app and like responsiveness of the UI and design is really important. I think you're really shooting yourself in the foot if you go that direction. Um, but it would be cool to have something like React Native going forward, where you got true native performance could integrate. Um, pretty seamlessly, pretty seamlessly across platforms and run really effectively. How cautious are you about including open source projects um, in your products? So, Not at all. Love them a lot, maybe too much. Okay. Um, I think so you, a lot of people. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, I think a lot, like if you peruse Twitter, you know, follow a decent amount of iOS developers on Twitter. Some people swear off CocoaPods. Some people. Right will never integrate another third-party framework into their app, you know, before or ever and whatever. Um, so, I, I mean, I think if you rely too heavily on a third-party framework, I've seen that um, bite people before. And I've seen that bite me before, too, actually. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of really, really cool software out there that people have built. And if you can leverage some of that um, without, you know, without having to write it yourself or having your team write it, then think it's from a business standpoint it just makes so much sense to do that but you have to be careful about licensing issues right yeah i mean certainly we never use anything that doesn't have most of the mit or whatever the licenses like that are pretty i mean they're pretty open right sure um i mean we don't use any any projects that have stringent licenses or anything like that so make yeah make sure the license is there and whatnot but um you know given that given that everything looks good uh, also Make sure that, all right, side note, I see I use every project under the sun. That's not true. Make sure it has a, a good, the project has a good history or a low number of issues. So make sure, you know, make sure it has, you know, 30, to, at least 30 to 50 stars on it. Sure, and, yeah. And then make sure that the issue list isn't, you know, in the hundreds. Because there are a few popular pro, um, popular frameworks out there that have a lot of issues. Um, so that's right. definitely something we keep an eye on. No, I totally agree with that. I don't know if you're familiar with the project uh, iOS Charts. Mm, but I am familiar. I haven't used it, though. So it's super popular. Um, I was using it on, a pro I think it has over 5,000 stars. I was using it on a project over the summer. And while it's extremely comprehensive, it just has so many issues. It's, it's crazy. It's actually a port of an Android library. Um, really? Yeah, it's a port of an Android library to Swift. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it, you get into this situation where you think something has a really strong community, right? Because there's so right. many stars, there's a lot of people making contributions. Um, but then you find maybe a few weeks down the road that it's not as well supported as you really think, because mm -hmm. it's not really, it's not like a React uh, native where it's backed by Facebook, right? It's right. like some guy is, yep, exactly. is the guy uh, making the, all the final decisions here. So yep. One thing uh, you know that I think about is, can I understand this whole code base before I put it into my code base? Um, I could never understand every little bit of iOS charts on the timeline that I have to complete a project. Right. Um, so while I, I definitely want to take advantage of uh, it as a great resource out there, I do think um, when it's not backed by either a community that shows itself to be very responsive or a corporation, um, you do have to be a little bit careful. Oh, 100%. Um, let's get into the lead generation side of your business. So give us the pitch for it. So why why should someone use um, lead generation from Broadway Lab? Or Broadway Leads is what you call it, right? Yep, absolutely. So broadwaylab.com slash leads. So what we do is we have a, a set of online sources we go to, and we hand curate the best leads from those sources. Um, we send them out. We also have inbound leads. People come to us looking to hire developers. We put those on the site as well. So really, it's a way to save developers time and reach out to, um, you know, qualified leads versus spending the time perusing through the depths of the internet um, and wasting hours trying to do that. So we help save people time. And where do the leads come from? How does it work? Yeah, we have 
a set of probably you know dozens of online sources that we go to. Um, so some we scrape, some we hand curate. Um, that we that's kind of like our source. And then we go through, and then our lead manager makes sure you know vets every lead, uh, make sure that they're they seem legitimate. It's a remote lead. Um, it's a good size project, good company, or or good individual. And then we'll send that out to our to our list. So we've had people, um, you know, we've had we've had people that have seen tremendous success from the program. We had somebody who signed up and then within two weeks they were working with Walmart labs. Wow. So they were, that was a huge project. Um, you know, I've hired a bunch of people through the, through the list, um, that we've used for some overflow. Um, we've had, you know, a number of people gain pretty good clients. People that are on the list have also used it to hire developers for their own projects. So when they've been a little bit in the weeds and needed some help, we've been able to help them out there. Um, you know, we've also had people that haven't seen any success from the leads, and we're we're trying to we're continuously improving that, um, trying to make it a better service so that when people do use it, you know, they're getting the most out of it that they can. So it's really a two way street, right? You both have uh, leads, but you also have hiring as well for consultants hiring other subcontractors. Yeah, so I mean, it's essentially you know, if you need to hire a developer, whether you're an entrepreneur or a large company or um, you're a developer yourself. As long as you're willing to hire somebody on a remote basis and on a contract basis, then that's an opportunity that we present. It looked to me like, and full disclosure, I don't use Broadway leads, but it looked to me like you have some exclusive leads as well, right? Because people can submit directly to your site, right? That is correct. So we are actively trying to grow the number of leads that come in direct to us. Um, you know, right now they're you know probably a handful every week or so. Um, I think we had two that went out in our last send on Wednesday, um, but you know we're we're trying to get that to be more, trying to get that to be a larger percentage of the leads that we send out, and trying to get our existing customers um, to utilize our service to find other developers that they need to work with more. So I think a lot of people don't even realize they can do that. What's the user experience like for a consultant or freelancer that that wants to take part in Broadway uh, leads? Yeah, so you sign up. Um, and then you get an email three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at nine, nine o'clock Eastern. Um, and that email has a brief description of the company, um, or individual that's hiring. It has a brief description of the project and what they're looking for. Um, then it has the contact information for that person who's hiring. Um, What's the we're pricing actually, like? Sorry, it's interrupt. The pricing, it's 49 bucks a month flat. We don't take a commission. We don't do anything like that. Um, 10 day free trial. So if you don't like it, then you don't have to continue. Um, we're pretty pretty transparent, try and be as responsive as possible with customers. Um, and also, one of my favorite things to do is just get on get on the phone and have one-on-one calls with our customers. Uh, just talk to people, try and figure out you know what their biggest problems are. Usually it's, I need to find more clients. Uh, surprise, surprise. And then we <laughs> kind of walk through their sales process and you know try and help them figure out how they can close more deals. Well, it sounds like a great service. I'm probably going to check it out myself. And I do recommend everyone listening to the show check it out who's looking for more clients. Um, but I have to ask you, it sounds like there's a bit of a conflict of interest, though, because you're both a consultancy, but you're also generating leads for other consultants. Mm-hmm. So you must take some of the leads yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. We're customer. I mean, we are customers of our own product. Um, strangely, I've never taken a lead that came into us directly and not sent it out to the group. So everything we've taken through the list, we've actually sent out to the group, strangely enough. Okay. Um, you know, but we're, you know, that's like, we can't grow as fast as those leads come in, if that makes sense. So if, you know, if we could jump, chomp on all of them, I mean, that would be pretty insane for our business. And we, I don't think we can make that work. Um, and, you know, the goal is to help more people, more people get leads um, and also able to kind of create some productized revenue for our consultancy. You changed the marketing a little bit of Broadway Leads, right? It used to be iosleads.com, yep. and now it's Broadway Leads. Why did you make that change? Because um, we didn't want to fragment each brand individually. We kind of wanted to wrap it under one brand because eventually we want to get to you know design leads and web development leads and stuff like that, and make it more of like a more of a SaaS product versus just um, the email delivery that we're doing now. So for the future and where we want to take the product, it made more sense to have everything under under the Broadway Leads brand. Um, so that's, you know, that it totally made sense. Earlier, we talked about competing with remote developers, remote teams um, that might be in other continents. And we also talked about um, how individual consultants can help to differentiate themselves by having a great landing page, by having a portfolio site, by following up, et cetera. Um, 
when you get to your level where you have um, a significant size consultancy with several employees, what's competition like for you? I assume, of course, we assume that companies of your size have all the basics down when, you ha- when you're already at the point where you have several employees. Um, what's it <laughs> like for everything. you when you're competing with, let's say, somebody like a Martian craft? Not to put, I'm, I just pick somebody yeah. out. But, no, that makes know. sense. Um, we actually partner with a number of consultancies too. Um, so consultancies can be your friend. They don't, they don't have to be your foe. Um, and, you know, Martian Craft, a company like that, you know, they, they work with pretty much huge companies, right? Like, I know they work with Meyer and a number of other, you know, name Fortune 500, insert Fortune 500 company here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every, every company kind of has their own niche, right? Like, we're not, we're not going after those, those kinds of clients yet. Um, that's definitely something we want to do in the future. But, you know, we feel like we can be a tool for other, other consultancies, too, that don't necessarily have a strong mobile team. That's something that we can help them with as well. That makes sense. So it can be a collaborative process. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there's this community. I mean, you know, you get to know. You might find out your best friend works at Martian Craft, um, and I do have friends that work at Martian Craft. You might find out, like, hey, they're, um, you know, like we need help on a project. Like we know that we can hire Broadway Lab or whoever's consultancy to come in and help on this project. You know, those opportunities are certainly out there. Um, and they can be really good business relationships when you get them. Now, you have a couple of your own products, too. Tell me about uh, Signature Plus and WorkWith.io. Yeah, so Signature Plus um, is a suit. I was sitting around one day, and I was like, oh, I was on my phone. I was like, I need just a simple signature capture because I had to, like, paste a PNG on this document. I was away from my computer. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need something. So I just hacked something up real quick that was, like, quick signature capture change the size, change the color of the signature and whatnot. Um, and then just, it was like, ah, put it on the app store or whatever. So didn't, didn't even look at it, didn't touch it for a year, free app, da 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 um, <laughs> Looked up, it was getting, it was getting seven to 10,000 downloads a week as a free app. Um, it was the wow. number one, um, it was the number one app when you search signature and all that stuff. So I was like, holy cow, like, there's a market for this. Um, so we shipped an update, added, added a little bit more of a nicer UI, and then um, charge $0.99 cents for it right now. We probably are going to honestly tweak it back to free. Um, it's just better exposure than anything. Um, but it's just kind of a little fun project. And then work with .io. So as we were talking about earlier, one of the biggest problems we have is um, you know, a lot of developers don't have a great landing site, a great landing page. So this is kind of a, an about.me for developers um, that they can go in, put, a, put their information in, who they are, where they, where they live, uh, relevant social profiles, um, upload a few projects that they've worked on, and then also create uh, a contact, a way for other inbound contacts. Um, and it can also integrate with uh, various CRMs and other tools that you can use to create campaigns um, to keep prospects in the loop. And make your make your consultancy or your 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 freelance profile seem really really legitimate and create a really nice sales process. So that's something that's in beta right now. Um, we'll have a we'll have a beta sign up um, on the site if you go to work with .io. But we're really excited about the future of that product too. Before I let you go, let's talk big picture a little bit. Um, other Apple platforms, Apple TV, Apple Watch, Mac. How much are they on your radar? Oh, man, Apple TV, not at all, to be honest. Um, my friend, good friend of mine, Josh Brown, he shipped a pretty cool Apple TV app. Um, it's called, I think it's called Apod, Astronomy Picture of the Day. Um, check it out, roadfiresoftware.com. Awesome guy, super nice. Um, one of, he helped me a lot when I was getting started. But I don't, and it was a top paid app, and I just don't think the, the, there's enough devices out there, right, to make it worthwhile. Um, so if you have a client that, you know, has a really specific TV, TV niche or something that, you know, they're going to get a lot of value out of it, then that's where you're going to run into a big win on the Apple TV right now. Um, but it's not something that's really on our radar. And then kind of the same thing with the Apple Watch. And I only say that because I don't really like it that much. Okay. And here's why. I don't, like, I don't like notifications a ton. Um, yeah. You already get, obviously, you know, we're in Slack groups with, uh, with our team. Um, emails and whatnot, I already get a pretty solid stream of notifications. So I don't want it pinging on my wrist all day. Yeah. Uh, so that's the main reason. I mean, we've, we've had, uh, we're actually about to start on an Apple Watch app. 
um, for a client next week or next month. So that's something that we'll dig more into. Um, and as people need it or as it makes sense, um, we'll definitely, definitely work on them. But I don't, as far as me personally, it's not a product that I'm fully on board with yet. So you haven't seen the demand from clients on either of these platforms be very large? No, not at all. And then the iPad Pro too. I mean, we, we reached out to some clients for like, hey, iPad Pro shipping. Like, um, this was a few months back. Like, do you want to update your apps for it or whatever? And they're just like, eh, no, not really. I was like, okay. okay. Um, you know, that's something that, that could be pretty cool. But, you know, we're still sticking with the bread and butter. I think there's just so much opportunity and just, you know, standard iPhone and iPad development as well as um, maybe not as much Mac right now. But those, that's definitely where we where we focus our bread and butter. What's what do you think is changing the most for iOS developers on Apple and just people on Apple platforms in general who are developers? Uh, you mentioned earlier UI testing. Obviously, that's a big new opportunity. Um, what else? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the App Store, right, and discovery on the App Store. Yeah. Obviously, like you know, one one percent of or less than 1% of apps get greater than 99% of revenue and whatnot. Um, I, I think that's just kind of like the nature of a marketplace is you're going to have a few large customers that dominate it, and then everybody else kind of um, kind of fills in. Uh, where I would like to see improvements in the App Store are it kills me when, we, when you ship an update for an app. And like this, is, this happened to us with Signature Plus is we had a five-star review um, and that's happened to us with a number of client apps and we have a five star review and, you know, we ship an update or if it's a, if it's a client app, you know, we might be doing two week sprints and getting an update out there multiple times a month, you know, having your rating disappear for that brief period can be killer yeah. on down numbers. That is terrible. So that's something that I'd really like to see fixed. And then being able to respond to negative reviews. So if you, you know, if you if you have your product out there, you get a one star review, being able to reach out to that person and be like, Hey, you know, what can I do to help? What can I do to make your experience better? It's going to make the app store seem more like a business storefront. Because right now I feel like people yeah. see, oh, app app store, like whatever. I'm not really, I'm, if I write a negative review, it's not going to a person. It's just going in this blank, blank page. But I mean, you know, there's no reason like TweetBot 4 is like one of the greatest apps I've, that I use. I mean, that's an amazing app. And that sure. thing is flooded with one-star reviews for you know, paid up, obviously paid upgrades and totally different subject. Um, but you know, just little dumb things. So being able to respond to, to customers and just create a better customer service around those negative reviews would be pretty cool too. And if people think it's bad on the iOS app store, I mean, the Mac app store hasn't seen an update in like five years. And <laughs> the, t- the TVOS app store is a total joke. I mean, there's yeah, well, that, categories. that's new. So you got to give it a pass, but did you see, uh, I guess, uh, they didn't renew the Mac App Store certificates. Like right, Mac yes, App I saw. That's just that's some very current news. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. oh my goodness. So. Yeah. No, the Apple definitely needs to give the all the App Stores a lot more love. But um, <laughs> the TVOS yeah. App Store is really bad right now. We can't yeah. even link to our apps from the web. So. Oh if, really? Yeah. There's like you know that. you can't even go into let's say iTunes on your Mac and buy a TVOS app like you can buy an iOS app. But even worse than that, you can't even link to the Apple page for an app. So you have your marketing page and you want to somehow say, okay, go buy my app. The only thing you can say literally is search for it on the TVOS app store. Yeah. Didn't they, uh, I could be 100% wrong on this, didn't they just add like uh, categories on it? Right, they added categories, but they only added two categories, games and entertainment. Ah, Nice. So if you're... There's a lot of games, obviously, but there's no subcategories within games. So I released kind of just something I hacked together really quickly, uh, Chess App, which has actually been in the top 50 uh, on the TV OS App Store. Um, it's not pretty or anything, but it plays chess and has chess puzzles in it. Um, and, you know, uh, you can't even find it unless you search for chess, basically. So you can't, like, browse through categories. If, if it was in board games, I, I've been looking around at the other board games on there, it would be the number one board game right now. Wow. But um, there's no way for people to browse by board game. Um, it goes up and down. There's another chess app that's sometimes above it. Um, anyway, uh, rant aside, um, how can people reach you? Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? Um, what's the best way for clients to potentially reach Broadway Lab as well? Yeah, reach out to us, broadwaylab.com. Um, that kind of has everything right there. You can follow me on Twitter at NAFellows. Um, that's probably the best way if you want to get to know me a little bit. 
definitely reach out. I'm happy to chat with whoever. Um, if you have any questions on software development, building consultancy, um, if you need, have questions on hiring a developer, you know, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to chat. Well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I think there was a lot of great insight um, in it for um, developers who maybe want to take it up to the level that you've taken it up to with a team. Um, thanks so much. And uh, is there anything that, that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention? Nah, man, this was a great conversation. I got to say, um, I actually listened to all the episodes of your show. So I like, I like how it has progressed. Um, I think, it, think it's going to be a pretty, pretty fun show to listen to. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to see you next month. Once again, please leave us reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate that. And please reach out to me on Twitter. Again, I'm at Dave Kopeck, D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. Have a great month. See you in December.